Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello, my name is Bex and welcome to the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast. We've got loads of amazing things today on the show, including a reading from Natlet Seema's brand new book and a little chat with a hero from World Book Day. But first, I thought we'd have a little reading from J.K. Rowling's brand new book, The Ichabog. Chapter One King Fred the Fearless Once upon a time, there was a tiny country called Cornucopia, which had been ruled for centuries by a long line of fair-haired kings. The king at the time of which I write was called King Fred the Fearless. He had announced the fearless bit himself on the morning of his coronation, partly because it sounded nice with Fred, but also because he'd once managed to catch and kill a wasp all by himself, if you didn't count five footmen and the boot boy. King Fred the Fearless came to the throne on a huge wave of popularity. He had lovely yellow curls, fine sweeping moustaches, and looked magnificent in the tight breeches, velvet doublets, and ruffled shirts that rich men wore at the time. Fred was said to be generous, smiled and waved whenever anyone caught sight of him, and looked awfully handsome in the portraits that were distributed throughout the kingdom to be hung in town halls. The people of Cornucopia were most happy with their new king, and many thought he'd end up being even better at the job than his father, Richard the Righteous, whose teeth, though nobody had liked to mention it at the time, were rather crooked. King Fred was secretly relieved to find out how easy it was to rule Cornucopia. In fact, the country seemed to run itself. Nearly everybody had lots of food, the merchants made pots of gold, and Fred's advisers took care of any little problem that arose. All that was left for Fred to do was beam at his subjects whenever he went out in his carriage, and go hunting five times a week with his two best friends, Lord Spittleworth and Lord Flapoon. Spittleworth and Flapoon had large estates of their own in the country, but they found it much cheaper and more amusing to live at the palace with the king, eating his food, hunting his stags, and making sure that the king didn't get too fond of any of the beautiful ladies at court. They had no wish to see Fred married, because a queen might spoil all their fun. For a time, Fred had seemed to rather like Lady Eslander, who was as dark and beautiful as Fred was fair and handsome. But Spittleworth had persuaded Fred that she was far too serious and bookish for the country to love her as queen. Fred didn't know that Lord Spittleworth 
had a grudge against Lady Eslander. He had once asked her to marry him, but she'd turned him down. Lord Spittleworth was very thin, cunning, and clever. His friend Flapoon was ruddy-faced and so enormous that it required six men to heave him onto his massive chestnut horse. Though not as clever as Spittleworth, Flapoon was still far sharper than the king. Both lords were expert at flattery and pretending to be astonished by how good Fred was at everything from riding to tiddlywinks. If Spittleworth had a particular talent, it was persuading the king to do things that suited Spittleworth. And if Flapoon had a gift, it was for convincing the king that nobody on earth was as loyal to the king as his two best friends. Fred thought Spittleworth and Flapoon were jolly good chaps. They urged him to hold fancy parties, elaborate picnics, and sumptuous banquets, because Cornucopia was famous far beyond its borders for its food. Each of its cities was known for a different kind, and each was the very best in the world. The capital of Cornucopia, Shoeville, lay in the south of the country and was surrounded by acres of orchards, fields of shimmering golden wheat and emerald green grass on which pure white dairy cows grazed. The cream, flour and fruit produced by the farmers here was then given to the exceptional bakers of Shoeville who made pastries. Think, if you please, of the most delicious cake or biscuit you have ever tasted. Well, let me tell you, they'd have been downright ashamed to serve that in Shoeville. Unless a grown man's eyes filled with tears of pleasure as he bit into a Shoeville pastry, it was deemed a failure and never made again. The bakery windows of Shoeville were piled high with delicacies such as maiden's dreams, fairies' cradles, and, most famous of all, hopes of heaven, which were so exquisitely, painfully delicious that they were saved for special occasions and everybody cried for joy as they ate them. King Porfirio of neighboring Pluritania had already sent King Fred a letter offering him the choice of any of his daughter's hands in marriage in exchange for a lifetime supply of hopes of heaven. But Spittleworth had advised Fred to laugh in the Pluritanian ambassador's face. His daughters are nowhere near pretty enough to exchange for hopes of heaven, sire, said Spittleworth. To the north of Shoeville lay more green fields and clear sparkling rivers where jet-black cows and happy pink pigs were raised. These in turn served the twin cities of Kurdsburg and Baronstown which were separated from each other by an arching stone bridge over the main river of Cornucopia, the Flume, where brightly coloured barges bore goods from one end of the kingdom to another. 
Kurdsburg was famous for its cheeses. Huge white wheels, dense orange cannonballs, big crumbly blue-veined barrels, and little baby cream cheeses smoother than velvet. Baronstown was celebrated for its smoked and honey-roasted hams, its sides of bacon, its spicy sausages, its melting beefsteaks, and its venison pies. The savoury fumes rising from the chimneys of the red-brick Baronstown stoves mingled with the odorous tang wafting from the doorways of the Kurdsburg cheesemongers, and for forty miles all around, it was impossible not to salivate, breathing in the delicious air. A few hours north of Kurdsburg and Baronstown, you came upon acres of vineyards, bearing grapes as large as eggs, each of them ripe and sweet and juicy. Journey onwards for the rest of the day, and you reached the granite city of Jeroboam, famous for its wines. They said of the Jeroboam air that you could get tipsy simply walking its streets. The best vintages changed hands for thousands upon thousands of gold coins, and the Jeroboam wine merchants were some of the richest men in the kingdom. But a little north of Jeroboam, a strange thing happened. It was as though the magically rich land of Cornucopia had exhausted itself by producing the best grass, the best fruit, and the best wheat in the world. Right at the northern tip came the place known as the Marshlands. And the only things that grew there were some tasteless, rubbery mushrooms and thin, dry grass, only good enough to feed a few mangy sheep. The marshlanders who tended the sheep didn't have the sleek, well-rounded, well-dressed appearance of the citizens of Jeroboam, Baronstown, Kurdsburg, or Shuville. They were gaunt and ragged. Their poorly nourished sheep never fetched very good prices, either in Cornucopia or abroad, so very few marshlanders ever got to taste the delights of Cornucopian wine, cheese, beef, or pastries. The most common dish in the marshlands was a greasy mutton broth, made of those sheep who were too old to sell. The rest of Cornucopia found the marshlanders an odd bunch, surly. Dirty and ill-tempered, they had rough voices, which the other Cornucopians imitated, making them sound like hoarse old sheep. Jokes were made about their manners and their simplicity. As far as the rest of Cornucopia was concerned, the only memorable thing that had ever come out of the marshlands was the legend of the Ichabog. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! 
Oh, doesn't that sound great? I was loving that. Uh, big thank you to JK Rowling and the Ichabog, of course. Uh, now, I recently got to talk to MC Grammar. He's got a brand new book out to celebrate World Book Day. So we had a little chat all about it. All right, so I am joined right now down the line by someone whose song we've been playing all day on Fun Good. It's MC Grammar. Hello, how you doing? How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Man, I love your song so much. It just gave me a massive smile. And I watched the video as well. And it's really awesome. Oh, thanks so much. It's a special part project to be a part of. I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, so if our listeners have just tuned in, maybe they haven't heard the song yet. First of all, don't worry, you'll hear it loads more. We'll be playing it. Uh, but secondly, can you maybe explain a bit about it or the lyrics to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the song, the World Book Day song, the f- official and first ever, may I add, is about my journey well, the journey I take with my World Book Day token to go and get my book. And along the, the rhyming road, I meet lots of your favourite characters and favourite books um, to sort of persuade me which one I'm going to pick. And then I arrive at the bookshop at the end. And that's when I get to spend my magic book token to get my free book on World Book Day. And that's what World Book Day is all about. You know, celebrating books, dressing up as your favourite character and just enjoying reading together. Man, you're right. When you get that voucher, you're just like, oh, my goodness, what can I do with this? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that that one book could be the book that changes your life. You might read a book on space, for example, or you might read a book about another interest and think, wow, I really like this. And then you might delve deeper into that world. And that might be the shift in your life that changes your whole path. Who knows? Oh, man, you're making this sound very mystical. But you're right. I mean, I am... In, in your song, you reference um, other places you'll go. And that, to me, was like a turning point because, and I was quite, a lot, I was older than I probably should have been when I read that, but it just made me be like, oh man, yeah, you know, it cheered me up and it buoyed me along. And lots of people have certain books in their lives that are really special to them. And I think you probably mentioned quite a lot of them in your song as well. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's a, very, a poignant line. Other places you'll go float away like paper dolls. Cause it's so true, you know, a book can take you anywhere. Anywhere you want to go, whether it's a fictional world or non-fiction, an interest, whatever it is, you can go anywhere with a book. So it, it's a wonderful, just a wonderful idea. I just love sharing the magic of reading and books with people. And do you know, do you have any idea how many different books you referenced in the song? Or not? There are, I'm, you know, I'm not actually going to tell you that because it's one of the World Book Day activities in the pack. If you go on the World Book Day site, worldbookday.com, you can actually download the activity pack. There's one for teachers, one for children. And you can, one of the tasks is to name all the books and, you know, you can cut out all the jackets on the books and then decide which order they come up in. So I'm not going to reveal the answer. That's a good task for you to do there as well. Oh my goodness, yeah, that's going to keep me busy. God, I'll do that later on. Because I, I did, you also referenced um, The Jolly Postman, which is Alan Alberg, and another, and, Alan, and, and Janet Alberg, isn't it? And another book I absolutely loved as a kid. Yeah. It brought back all of these memories to me. And yeah, all of these worlds that you, you read when you're little and when you're younger, it's so exciting. Exactly. And you sort of forget about them because you just move on to a different book or you grow out of those sort of books. But actually, they've had such an impact on your life. When someone mentions the title, not only do you remember the book, but you remember who read it to you, who you read it with, where you were at that time in your life. So they're just so nostalgic. And I just really wanted to pay tribute to all those wonderful books that I read and some of the new ones that have come out. And I'm sure we could make about 10 songs actually celebrating all of the new books that are out at the moment as well. I have to say, it's very savvy of you to make a World Book Day song. You know, we've got Christmas songs, we've got a new... We haven't got a World Book Day song. This is quite a business-minded of you. I'm very impressed. 
Yeah, and probably the most important one, right? You know, at the end of the day, we've, we've talked about the power of books as well. I, I feel like there should have been a World Book Day song, but I'm glad there, w- there wasn't one because then I got to write this one. So I'm very thankful to be part of yeah, the World Book Day crew. Exactly. Yeah, I love that trailblazer, setting the trends. Yeah. So tell me which book for you was was the book that really got you into reading? Because I think I think a lot of people have a certain book that, that kind of opens the world to them. Was there one in particular that's really special to you? Oh, that's, that's such a great question. There's been so many, I would say, in my life. I used to love Roald Dahl when I was growing up. But obviously, I... I was an avid reader of the whole Roald Dahl collection, but Where the Wild Things Are is probably the book for me because I just love the fact that in Max's mind, he seems like he goes to a whole different island and so on, but it could have been a couple of minutes while his tea's getting cold, but actually you get so lost in the book, it feels like days, years, months, whatever it is. So um, I think it really encapsulates what reading is about and the magic of your imagination. You know, one of the things that got you really out there was when he started rapping the Gruffalo, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that was a big moment in my MC grammar career. I mean, prior to that, I was teaching in school full time, working with kids and so on. And uh, yeah, I just wrapped a book to my daughter, which was something we do regularly. I do it in school as well. And my wife managed to capture it and share it on social media. And the next day we woke up, we had 500,000 views, then 5 million. And eventually we were flown to LA to be on the Ellen, to feature on the Ellen DeGeneres show, which has been a fantastic opportunity and really, you know, shared the MC Grammar ethos and approach to rapping and reading with so many kids worldwide. Very, very thankful for that. And do you pick up books now and you the first thing you do is do you flick through to see if you could rap it? I, do you know what? It's a bit of a habit. I'm like, could I rap that one? Could I rap that one? But uh, I don't rap all the books. Obviously, there's a time and place. I don't rap books at night when I'm trying to get my kids to sleep. It's not a good idea. Just throwing that one out there. Maybe the first one, but maybe the second one, chill it down a bit. But it's just another example of how you can just adapt books to anything. You know, they're so cool like that. You can act them out, rap them, do whatever you want, you know, draw some pictures. It's all about your interpretation of what that book gives you. So it's such yeah. a good way of bringing a book to life and um, for any of our listeners right now who kind of want to do some rapping uh, do you have any advice on how to get started with their favorite books yeah well first of all choose a book you've got to be interested in the books pick something you like and then after that go on youtube and maybe you can pick an instrumental of your favorite song so if you've got a favorite taylor swift song whoever your favorite artist is for example then you can search the karaoke version and it will give you just the beat and then you can have a go at putting that book to that beat that makes sense and uh, it'll put you in a really good position and after that once you've got the confidence you can start rhyming your own words that's why i usually fill out a rhyming alphabet so i choose a word and try and go through the alphabet rhyming that word and once you've got the words you can make sentences and eventually your own verses and hopefully a song and i would love to hear those songs can you imagine that the whole country rapping about books I would love that. That's a perfect way to celebrate World Book Day. Um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, so, you know, if you don't have something prepared, that's fine. Could you do a little mini rap for us now? Anything of your choosing at all? I can rap about the adjectives. Do you know about, let's rap about adjectives so we can do some teaching as well. You ready? All right. Yeah, okay, yeah, go for it, yeah. Here we go. Let me tell you what an adjective is. It's a word that modifies a noun, adding details so why do we look closer now? For example, the tall castle, the old parcel, or the little rascal. Notice what the words do suddenly to your writing. Adjectives describe nouns. They make them more exciting. They link on to your noun. That's where they belong. So when you think of adjectives, remember this song. There you go. That's a little wrap about adjectives there. <laughs> oh, because I'm always forgetting which way around like nouns and adverbs and verbs and adjectives like that's really useful uh, that's so great thank you I will have to go back and uh, watch your YouTube channel anyone who's interested in learning about grammar just hit up YouTube for slash MC Grammar TV and you've got every grammar objective on there in a song form yeah and also if you want to pep up your creative writing maybe you've got to write a story for school that's a great thing to do to go and check out your channel exactly yeah I mean I'm there to help so and it's all free just there for you pretty awesome uh, now tell me the last thing is, is the big one 
How are you celebrating World Book Day? You've got the song out, but are you dressing up as a character? Have you got the World Book Day bunting on the go? Yeah, we've got we've got some decorations in the house. They're going up tonight. Um, we're going to be picking our outfits as well, having them ready for tomorrow morning, have a little World Book Day party breakfast with the song, and then just keep going all day long, celebrating books. We're going to choose our favourites, find some new books we've not read before, and just enjoy reading together. Even if it's just 10 minutes, if you share a book on World Book Day in your outfit, how cool is that? What a wonderful day. And every other day after that as well. Remember, books are powerful every day of the week. <laughs> oh, awesome stuff. Well, MC Grammar, thank you so much for chatting to us. Yeah, have a great World Book Day, guys. Thank you so much for supporting the song. And remember, all the proceeds go to charity. So download, stream, share the video, and we can keep supporting the World Book Day charity. Okay, definitely check that song out if you can. It is absolutely brilliant. It mentions all of your favourite books, and I love playing it on Fun Kids. Now it's time to check in with Natla Seema. Uh, you might remember we spoke to her recently about her brand new book, Opie Jones, and this is an exclusive reading from it. This is when Opie first meets the resistance. She's walking home from school. Uh, it's a very hot day and somebody is following her. Opie glanced back. She thought she saw a flash of lilac again, but maybe not. She did have a long fringe that her cycling proficiency teacher called dangerously obscuring. She was starting to feel prickles of danger. If you want to understand this feeling, take a big bag of chips down to the seaside, sit near a flock of seagulls, and, well, good luck with that and all the best with your recovery. Opie was not being followed by a massive seagull, so that was something. She was being followed by a man and a woman. The woman was black teacher-aged and dressed for business head to ankle. From the ankle down, she was wearing high-heeled glittery boots. The man was younger, white, with dramatic cheekbones and an even more dramatic dress sense. He was wearing a lilac cape. Opie could hear their footsteps getting closer. They sounded loud, two sets of high heels clattering on the cobbles. She didn't look back. She just ran, with her heavy bouncing backpack threatening to unbalance her with every step. She wished things would stop happening to her today. She just wanted to go home and eat a jacket potato. Opie darted down an alleyway beside the Varling Cinema. It was cool. The tall buildings blocked out all the sunshine. Opie appreciated the temperature, but not the spooky atmosphere. She soon outpaced the strangers and could hear their clattering footsteps getting quieter. After a few minutes, she felt safer and slowed to catch her breath careful not to pant too loudly. She was almost home. She scrabbled in her pocket for her phone again, pressed the number nine twice, then kept her thumb hovering over the nine so she could call the emergency services in a heartbeat. Opie Jones was a very smart girl. She turned the corner and came face to face with the strangers, standing there, waiting for her, smiling. Opie squeaked with fear and dropped her phone. Okay, she wasn't like genius smart. The man held up his hand. Calm. The word popped into Opie's head, and with it a feeling like a cool breeze, blowing away all her worries and all her thoughts. She stood, mouth open, eyes unfocused for a second. She was so dazed, she took a step backwards, wobbling on legs that felt borrowed, and fell over a bin. She landed hard on her bum, and the warmth and noise returned to her head. Stop it! The woman slapped the man's hand down in a big sisterly way. Then she turned to Opie and smiled. Opie did not smile back. You're Opie, aren't you? The woman began. You're very special. You have a... No, I'm not, said Opie. Special. 
I wasn't finished. The woman looked annoyed. I have a whole thing, I say. We do a thing. The man swooshed his cape dramatically. You are so very special. I haven't got there yet. The woman was annoyed at both of them now. Don't do a silly voice. It's important. How do you know my name? Opie asked. We've been watching you, the woman twinkled. Opie didn't twinkle back. Well, that's a creepy thing to say to someone, she said. The woman was firm. We're doing it in a professional way. This is a professional operation sort of thing, the man added. Opie scrabbled on the phone on the ground for her phone. She was still nervous, and the adults exchanged a guilty look. Don't be scared. Is it the cape? The man said. Is it too much? Be honest. I love it, but maybe it's not for work. I could keep it for brunches. My name's Malaki. This is Zoo, the woman said, talking over Zoo, who was fussing about maybe a jumpsuit would have the same impact, but not be so extra. Opie, you have a gift. Um, how do you spell... Opie asked, struggling to keep up with all this new information. G-I-F-T, Malaki said. <sighs> Opie sighed and shook her head. Oh. Z-U, Malaki said, pointing at her colleague. And I'm M-U-L-K-I. Good for Scrabble, Opie said, if proper nouns were allowed, which I know they aren't, but some people relax the rules at Christmas or Hanukkah, for example. She was babbling to calm her nerves. It wasn't working. O-P. Malaki separated Opie's names into two irritable sounds. You have a gift, but you already know that. Honestly, Opie did not already know that. She did well in exams, but that was because she paid attention in class, which was hardly worth chasing someone down an alleyway in high heels on a hot day for. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> you concentrate really well. That's why you were in the park just now, Malaki said. You heard the bullying. Yeah, I heard it. I had ears. No. Malaki shook her head, smiling. You heard it. And she pointed at her head. Yes, said Opie patiently, pointing at her head with my ears right here. Oh, God, I'm bored, sighed Zoo. Listen, Opie Jones, you're a mind reader, a special, unique, superhuman freak in a beautiful way. He held out his hand towards her. His cape flapped gently and he looked like a wizard. Now, can you stop being such a wally? We'll be here all night and you live in a rough area, no offence. I... what? spluttered Opie. I can't read minds. I'm not special. I'm boring. I like all types of music. I eat, eat ready-salted crisps, and I think rules are there for a reason. You've got the wrong person. Sorry. Wow, that is pretty dull, said Zoo, suddenly sounding less certain. Honey, we're not going to hurt you, Malaki said. Opie turned on her heel, darted out of the alleyway, and pelted towards the safety of home. Big thank you to Natalette Seema for giving us an exclusive preview of her brand new O.P. Jones book. Now, as you might well know, in every episode of this podcast, I give you my Fun Kids Bookworms Book of the Month. Well, this month is pretty exciting, actually, because the book has been written by Sean off of the Fun Kids Breakfast Show and his pal Luke Franks off of CITV. So that is my book of the month this month in March, and I will be telling them that I have given them the prestigious title in the next episode of the podcast. So listen then to find out what they say. That's pretty much it from me today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can definitely keep up with all of the books in the world that you want to if you go onto the Fun Kids website. And remember, rate, review, follow, read a book, and I'll see you super soon. Bye. 
Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!